morning. My name is Ed. I'm uh, one of the pastors here if you are visiting with us, and we're really glad to have you, all of you. Uh, we're in a third week of a series of conversations that we have called Set Sail, Healthy Habits for a Healthy Spiritual Life. And we've compared our spiritual and emotional health and growth and maturity to sailing. Now, you could think of your spiritual life like, like rowing a boat, and you're working really hard to become a good person or to be more patient or to do religious stuff. You could also think of your spiritual life like floating on a raft. You know, I believe there's, there's more to the universe. I believe in God. You just go wherever the current takes you. But, but the Bible describes our spiritual life more like sailing. Our progress is completely dependent on the work of God's Spirit, completely dependent on the work of God's Spirit, just like sailing is dependent on the wind. The Spirit fuels our growth and our health. But just like you have to learn how to be a good sailor, because there are things to know about the boat, about the wind, and about how to navigate the tension between the two, there are, there are skills, there are habits, there are rhythms that help us participate with the movement of the Spirit in our lives. We don't make ourselves go further in the water. The wind does that, but we have to learn how to participate with the wind. And that's what these discussions are all about. What are the skills, what are the habits that help us participate with the movement of God's Spirit in our life? We're spending seven weeks together talking about seven key habits that help us set sail they will help us develop a healthy, growing spiritual life. So we're going to kick it off this morning by reading an awesome passage of Scripture. It'll be familiar to many of you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And this is the, one of the classic passages where the, the Apostle Paul uses a rich, rich analogy for us. He, he calls us the body of Christ. So we're going to read verses uh, 12 uh, through 27. And let's go old school and stand out of reverence for God's Word. I'll read off the screen. I'd love it if you have a Bible open, your phone, or a physical Bible. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, speaking to us as individuals, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, how odd would that be? Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, more odd, I think. Where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. This is an important little argument he's making here. 
And the parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. He's going to tell us why. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Jesus, I pray that today you'll um, remind us, convince us, drill down in our hearts and minds about concerning this teaching. And it's critical importance to us. We can forget this because of uh, the busyness of our schedules or because we have found other priorities or we have found lesser alternatives and they serve us in lesser ways, but we've learned to be satisfied. And I pray for a little holy dissatisfaction this morning. I pray for the, the call, Lord, for all of us to, to jump deeper in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Yvette Vickers, I doubt you know her name. She's a former model, and she's famous for starring in many B-movies. She's most famous for uh, her role in The Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. She would have been 84 years old in August of 2012 had she not died before that. I say it that way because nobody knows exactly how old she was when she died because nobody knows exactly when she died. According to the Los Angeles Coroner's Report back in 2011, she had been dead for the better part of a year and perhaps much more when her neighbor and fellow actress named Susan Savage found her. When Savage noticed growing cobwebs and yellowing letters in her mailbox, she reached through a broken window to unlock the door, and she had to push through piles of mail and clothes that barricaded the door and make her way through the house. Finally, upstairs, she found Vickers' body mummified and near a heater that was still running. The Los Angeles Times posted a story that fall about Vickers' death, and it quickly went viral. This is 2012, and within two weeks, Vickers' lonesome death was already the subject of over 16,000 Facebook posts and 1,000 tweets. In an article written late that year by Steve Marsh in The Atlantic, entitled, Is Facebook Making Us Lonely? Marsh said this, she had been a horror movie icon, and now she was an icon of a new and different kind of horror, our growing fear of loneliness. Certainly, she received much more attention in death than she did in the final years of her life. With no children, no religious group, no immediate social circle of any kind, she had begun as an elderly woman to look elsewhere for companionship. Savage, the actress who found her, later told Los Angeles Magazine that she had looked through Vickers's phone bills for clues about 
how her life had ended like this and, and what had happened. And she found that in the months before Vickers' grotesque death, she had made phone calls, but not to friends or family. She had made phone calls to distant fans who had found her through internet sites and fan conventions. Marche concluded his article in The Atlantic like this, we are living in an isolation that would have been unimaginable to our ancestors. We're going to make that point later, but think about that. He said, and yet we have never been more accessible. We live in, I like this, an accelerating contradiction. The more connected we become, the lonelier we are. I would suggest to us that what Steve Marche said in 2012 is even more true today, and I believe we all know it. I also think that somewhere rattling down deep inside, we know the remedy, and it's obvious. Today, we're going to discuss the critically important habit of investing in community. Before we do that, let's review real quickly how we got here. Week one of our series, we talked about reviewing, uh, using our resources with wisdom and purpose. If we want to have a meaningful connection to God that allows us to mature and grow spiritually and emotionally, that enables us to set sail this year, if you will, then we must use our resources with increasing wisdom and purpose. Increasing. And to do so, we must, one, reject the notion that our happiness can be won through financial gain, and that's a hard notion to reject for suburban Americans. And secondly, we must use our resources to be generous and to do good deeds. If you were not here, the second week, last week of our series, we talked about the critical importance of practicing creative devotion. If we want to have a meaningful connection to God that allows us to mature and to grow spiritually and emotionally, if we want to participate with the movement of His Spirit, then we must build into our schedules the consistent, dedicated practice of a time of relating to God, a kind of practice that works for you. This time will be built on recognizing our need for God and a deep commitment to pursuing Him in all circumstances. And this practice will have certain rhythms. It will have, it will have practices within it that like prayer, like reading the Bible, like praising Him, like singing and other creative practices. And that brings us to today. Our third critically important habit and you should know, if you've been a part of Gateway for a while, you know this, but you should know that this, this habit is at the core of who we are and why God has called us to this place. This is the habit of investing in community. If we want to have a meaningful connection to God that allows us to mature and grow spiritually and emotionally, then we must invest in community. That investment will look as different as there are people here. It will look different for the person who's super out there and huge relational capacity versus those who would rather have a more narrow relationship network. It will, it will include different kinds of practices, but it is a must if we want to participate with the movement of God's Spirit in our lives. The passage we read in 1 Corinthians demonstrates just how critically important this habit is in at least two ways. Number one, I think Paul is trying to convince us in God's spirit through him. Investing in community is fundamental to our spiritual and emotional nature. It's who we are. We were made in the image of a relational God. Investing in community is fundamental. It's who we are. 
In this passage, Paul pictures us as the body of Christ. This is my arm. It should be obvious to all of us, mostly because it is connected to my body. It's fundamental to the existence of my arm that it exists right here and in connection with my body. It's not my arm without being connected to my body. There is Jabin Bell, that thing, that appendage next to him. That's not my arm because it's connected to him. Or think about an atom. Dictionary definition, the atom is the basic unit of a chemical element. In other words, the atom is the most fundamental place where a chemical element is still that element. I'm going to talk beyond my expertise this morning. For all of you chemistry teachers, please forgive me. The rest of you won't understand any more than I do. But for example, typically carbon atoms have six protons, six neutrons, and six electrons. That's what makes it carbon. If, it, if you find some other combination of protons, electrons, and neutrons, it's not carbon. Now, an individual proton or an individual electron might exist in the universe, but you don't have carbon unless you find it in that combination of electrons, protons, and neutrons. It is essential to what carbon is. In the same way, community is the basic unit of the spiritual life. You can have individual, individual people with faith, of course, but, but that's not what Christianity is. And that's not what we were designed for. Community is fundamental to our spiritual nature. It's not a nice add-on. It's essential to who we are. If that's true, then that means you're not going to experience all that God has for you if you're not investing in community. You're not going to experience all that God has for you if you're not investing in community. You're going to be an isolated electron or a free-floating arm, which is just weird. Or to use our analogy, you will not be able to take full advantage of the wind unless you are investing in community. And can you see how this investment is challenged by the way we now live? First of all, for those of us who grew up in the United States, we were, we were cooked in a soup that values supremely in, in individualism and personal liberty, at times almost above anything else. While these are good things, they've, they've helped make our country great, they, they, they are like, um, take for example, tolerance. Tolerance is a good thing, but when we overvalue it, it leads to all kinds of problems. It can prevent us from speaking the truth. Well, in the same way, when we overvalue individualism and personal liberty, it leads to all kinds of problems. Also, it's worth noting that human beings for thousands of years have, have hung with their clan or their tribe for their entire lives. They didn't need to be reminded to invest in community. They carried it with them. They had it. Now, they certainly needed to work on the health of their community, and the, the New Testament addresses that repeatedly, how we should act, how we should carry ourselves with one another, but they didn't live large swaths of their life disconnected from significant others. But we do. And Paul reminds us that this is true for us regardless of our life circumstances or our socioeconomic status. Look at verse 13. Dean, give me that next slide. Whether Jews or Greek or Gentiles, slave or free, I don't care if you grew up Coptic or Catholic or nothing. If, you, if you're part of the faith, then 
then you were immersed into one body, regardless of who you are, regardless of, of where you grew up or what stage of life you're in. I don't care if you're from South India, South Africa, or South Carolina. This is fundamental to who we are. And if you keep yourself outside of deepening community, if you keep yourself outside of deepening community, you will be working at odds with God's design. And you will lose your, you'll begin to feel disconnected and isolated. You'll lose your sense of purpose and mission. This investment is critically important to our spiritual and emotional health because we are the body of Christ. Now look, our, our unity our, our community is certainly built on individual experiences with God's Spirit. As I, I noted, in verse 13 it says, we were baptized by one Spirit, and that's a reference to each one of us. This, this happened to each of us individually. God does work on each of us individually, but we were baptized into one body. He speaks of us as a hand or a foot, which suggests individuality, but those appendages are part of a body. And if you look down at verse 27, at the very end of this, he, he summarizes essentially. He says, now you are the body of Christ. And then to underscore his point, he finishes with this. And each of you is a part of it. In other words, it doesn't matter how you feel about yourself or about me. It's still true. You're a part of the body of Christ. You may not be living out that reality, which means you have a spiritual cold, perhaps even spiritual cancer. But it is true of you. Investing in community is fundamental to our spiritual and emotional nature. It's who we are. Second point that Paul wants to make, similar to the first, corollary, our unity is functionally essential. It, it, it's who we are. It's fundamental to us. It's also functionally essential. We must operate as a community. Therefore, we must invest in community. It is functionally essential. We can't be what we need to be. We can't do what we need to do without being unified with others, without walking arm in arm with others. Paul makes this point by explaining that we need one another in verses 14 through 16. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. Not for that reason, cease to be part of the body, because I'm not an eye, don't belong to the body. But not for that reason, cease to be part of the body, because we need one another. Now, he doesn't really say why we need one another here, but we can extrapolate from his, his why from the whole discussion. We, he's making the point that we need one another to adequately represent God to the world. We need one another to do what God has called us to do. We need one another to function. Look again at verses 17 through 19. The whole body were an eye. Where would the sense of hearing be? The whole body were an ear. Where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If all were one part, where would the body be? Our functionality is limited if we do not have one another. While I might be frustrated with you at times, or almost unimaginably, you might be frustrated with me, still we need one another. Our functioning depends on it. But listen to this. In other places in Scripture, many other places, it becomes clear that this is not only true for us as, an ind as a group, and this is the point Paul is making to the Corinthians and to us. This is true for us. But this is also true for us as individuals. As an individual, I need you to be who I'm supposed to be to do what I'm supposed to do. Here's what I mean. As I said, Paul's point here is primarily that we as Gateway Church, we can't function without community, without the unity of community. But, but, 
Listen to this verse from Hebrews 3. It's just one example. Hebrews 3 said this, see to it, brothers and sisters, see to it, brothers and sisters, all of you, see to, see to this, all of you, as a group, see to this, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Did you get that? The author is saying that the tenacity of my faith is a community project. Each of us needs to see that each of us does not turn away from the living God. Left by ourselves, that's what we do. We turn away. So for one of the, re one of the reasons I might be less effective as a father than I want to be, it might be because I have limited the impact and influence of community on my life. One of the reasons that my life loses its balance, say, between work and family or in some other area, might be because I've limited the impact and influence of community on my life. One of the reasons I drift spiritually, well, you see, I need community to function optimally. I must invest in community. Then look where he goes, Paul, after this, and with this discussion. In verse 21, he reminds us again of his principal point, how important this is, how functionally important. You see verse 21. What I like about this, and I wanted to highlight verse 21, I think through this discussion, he has both the insecure person and the arrogant person in mind. In verse 15, he had said, if you remember, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. It wouldn't for that reason stop being part of the body. And clearly he's addressing those of us who don't feel like we belong, who don't feel like we have anything to offer. Well, we do belong and we do have something to offer. We are essential. And then in verse 21, he says, the eye can't, he's making the same point, kind of, but he's, I think he's making it to a different audience. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Clearly, he's addressing those of us who have elevated perspectives of our important, importance. He's saying, it's not about you. It's about us. You can't do without us. And look what follows. After he's reminded us again of the importance of this, then he gives guidance for how to protect this sense of unity. Essentially, he says that we should treat the lesser members of our group with greater honor. This helps maintain our unity. Verses 22 through 24, look at this. You remember that? We read it a second ago. He goes on, evidently we don't need a pastor appreciation month at Gateway. Evidently we need a setup team appreciation month at Gateway. Why should we operate that way? Well, in short, to protect our unity. It's so essential to us and so functionally important. We must do everything to protect it. So look at verses 24b through 26. So that there should be no division in the body. Okay, Ed. So investing in community is fundamental to who we are. Having community with one another is functionally essential. But why the big emphasis on investing in it? already answered that. You remember what I said earlier about modern American life and the way it has challenged the development of community. We don't live with our tribe anymore. Plus, we've overvalued individualism. But I want to add one more thought here. I, I, I really, I, I just want to tease your gray matter with this one. I, look, I'm convinced we can't do without community. And when we don't have it, we try to replace it with less effective strategies. We can't do without community. And when we don't have it, we try to replace it with less effective strategies. 
I could give many examples, and some of them are dark, but let me give one example of this. In his book, Bad Religion, uh, Ross Duthat argues that as families have weakened and true friendships have waned, lots of statistics about that, by the way, they have. But as families have weakened and true friendships have waned, we have tried to fill the vacuum, he says, by relying on professional caregivers. Obviously, many of these professional care uh, givers truly care about their clients. And by the way, I'm a big fan of counselors and therapists. We have a couple of great counselors in our congregation. But this, this trend indicates a deeper problem. Dothat writes this, as the philosopher Ronald Dworkin pointed out, the United States has witnessed a hundredfold increase in the number of professional caregivers since 1950. Our society boasts 77,000 clinical psychologists, 192,000 clinical social workers, 105,000 mental health counselors, 70,000 marriage and family therapists, 17,000 nurse psychotherapists, 35,000 life coaches, and hundreds of thousands of non-clinical social workers and substance abuse counselors as well. Most of these professionals spend their days helping people cope with everyday life problems, he writes, not true mental illness. This means that continues, under our very noses, a revolution has occurred in the personal dimension of life such that millions of Americans must now pay professionals to listen to their everyday problems. Both that concludes. The result is a nation where gurus and therapists have filled the roles once occupied by spouses and friends. We must embrace the habit of investing in community, one, because it's fundamental to our spiritual and emotional nature. It's who we are. Two, because it's functionally essential. It's how we operate. The Bible knows nothing about a solo Christian. You can't sail, you can't make spiritual progress in isolation. Three, because we are in grave danger of not having it. Our society as it is currently organized does not support real community development and in some ways works against it. So we, we have to invest. All right, I'm gonna end this morning with three practical suggestions for us and you may have some of your own, but first practical suggestion is take someone to coffee or lunch or dinner and ask them their story. You can do this one. Number two, Join a small group at Gateway, he said. And they listened attentively, many of them saying, yes, I need to get back to a small group. We have built Gateway on a network of small groups in an effort to satisfy this need because it is so critical. Plus, this was the biblical model. Jesus built a small group. Third practical suggestion, look, some of you have these kinds of connections here or in the area or a collection of them over the course of your life, and that's wonderful. Re-up this year. Take the next step. Go deeper. Reinvest. 
Invest more fully. Jump in. All right, there's much we could say about how to do this, what investing in community looks like practically. That's for another day. Today, I want you to hear the call to invest in it, and I want you to step in. If you're part of Gateway or becoming a part, sign up for a small group and invest. Michelle will be out at the table right outside uh, the sanctuary here. And as you walk by, if you're not in a small group, I'm... Okay, this is unchristian, but I want you to feel guilty. If that small group, if the small group that you're in or you're thinking of investing in, if it doesn't work for you and sometimes they don't, talk to Michelle and find another one because you need this. This is fundamental. It is essential to you functionally. For your spiritual and emotional health, you need this. I I know it can be inconvenient. Listen, let's end with this. I know it can be inconvenient at times, but so is sleeping. I'd love to have eight additional hours a day to get stuff done. But I was designed by God with the need to sleep every day. And I was designed for community. Let's do it. Let's set sail this year. 